It was about this time of year in 2000 when my grandma and granddad Carswell held a Christmas party at their home for their little Methodist church in Quinnimo, Kansas. They lived in a big farmhouse outside of town. It was a house originally built as a two-story hotel back in the 1800s, back when the railroad through Quinnimo brought enough transit to support such things as a hotel and a general store and a restaurant or two. But that has all long since disappeared. The first floor of the house easily held every member of their tiny church as they balanced their styrofoam cups of hot cider and plates full of ranch-flavored oyster crackers and frosted sugar cookies. A good Methodist gathering. So when they heard a great and unmistakable crash from the second floor, confusion unfolded. There was no one up there. They made their way to the staircase and opened the door. The second floor was on fire, as in an inferno. The crash they had heard was the roof and beams beginning to fall in. Everyone began to flee the house, my grandmother and others gathering as many photo albums from the bureau as they could manage, though one woman infamously grabbed only her own casserole dish off the kitchen counter. (laughs) Even in churches. They fled into the cold December air, awaiting the fire department and safely watching the Carswell home burn itself to the ground. By the light of the next day, my family began to sift through the blackened remains. It was an act of purest optimism, given that anyone could see there was nothing to be salvaged here. So it was with shock that my grandmother spotted her Bible on a charred nightstand. The Bible was entirely whole, intact, in fact, gleaming unscorched against the rubble around it. She, picked, she went to pick it up with her hand, and as soon as she touched it, it turned to dust right there. In our gospel today, the crowds have traveled from Jerusalem to the barren country where the prophet John ministered. Now, John is not what we would call a pastoral presence here. He sees the crowds coming, and he knows he's a form of entertainment to them, He calls them snakes, which is probably not going to get him high marks on his annual review with the vestry. (laughs) He threatens them, says they're like trees to be chopped down for not bearing fruit, says they'll be thrown into the fire. Later on, he says they're like the chaff that will be separated from the good grain and, you guessed it, will be thrown into the fire. John doesn't want to give you too many metaphors, lest you miss the point about the fire. What John knows is what these people think of themselves. They think they are chosen, correct, discerning, in the know. These are people who know that the world is divided into two deeply polarized camps, and these people know that they are on the side of truth. They are on the right side of history. They know this. John hates this attitude. 
He says, do you not think that God could raise up children from literally anywhere? That if you abandon the ways of God altogether, that the very earth itself could be appealed to yet again to make children for God? John knows this Messiah he awaits can't just be arriving to vindicate one people while the rest of the earth goes up in flames. And John is filled with a righteous anger. Even though he's proclaiming the same message that Christ will bring, you heard it all about giving your coat wages that are fair, taking care of the oppressed, the same message. But John wields it with offense and indignation, and fire. And this is where John fails to understand the Messiah. It will be later on when he is in prison, when no conquering army or rescuing angels come, when no fire falls from heaven to vindicate him. He'll send a burned-out, desperate message to Jesus, writing, Are you really the one? The one that we've been waiting for? Because you are not what I expected, not what I was hoping for. It's a heartbreaking moment to watch. This man who's given his life to this cause, his fire going out. He will end up dying in that prison. John liked to wield the fire, but he didn't realize that in doing so, that it would come for him too. It would burn away the ideas that there was an us in them, even in the way he defines it. John could not understand that the Messiah would not wield the flame. He could not understand that this would be a Messiah who would enter all the fire, all the wrath we had to give, and would be consumed by it himself. The word of God would crumble to ash. My friends, I ask you this morning to consider the chaff of your life. The way that the problems of the world are everyone's but your own. The way that the fire comes in the heat of the argument. The way you stoke it against the people who just aren't like you. The rush of the need to win. The kindling at the insensitivity of that guy. Even the memory of past hurt replayed enough to warm up that old grudge. When the fire ignites, it will take the very thing you value. The ways of God you think are yours turn to ash upon a touch. When scripture ignites with our righteous indignation, it crumbles too. The funny thing here is that John played with fire, but he baptized with water. The Messiah himself would receive John's baptism, immersed in the water by John's soot-blackened arms. What grace is this that submits to our wrathful hands and emerges alive to bring us into it? This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.